schools of thought. And one school says this, that because of the great revival, that uh, there will also be a restoration. And that means that, you know, nations will again turn to righteousness and that America can become a beacon of light in the world. And some people truly believe that. And I, I pray, I pray that God, yeah, change America. Bring us back to our foundation, our heritage. We want that, you know, but then there's this other school. And they believe that this decline that we've seen into evil will continue until the Lord comes in the midst of that evil. And of course, you know, that school, they, uh, they have some wonderful people in that movement too. And so, you know, where do we stand? And how do we figure this out? And where do we go from all of that? And so it's, it's a great discussion. But um, I do love uh, Revelation. So, all right, let's, let's get started. I want to I wanna maybe just give a little, you know, what's this class going to look like? Here, here's, what, here's my desire, okay? I'm, I'm pretty casual. I welcome questions. I really do. And uh, so if you have a question, just raise your hand. I'll, I'll uh, try to acknowledge you and, and the mic to you, and, and uh, we can talk about things. And, and if, if I don't have the answer, somebody might. And um, that's good. It's a good thing. And, and if you have a comment, I welcome that as well. If you have a revelation to add, uh, do it. If you have correction, I don't mind that either, because uh, I can tell you what, when we speak about this subject, there is a diversity of opinion. Uh, so, the next point. If there's a subject you want to discuss, uh, we will get there in time. Invariably, when I teach this class, somebody the, right away, okay, Jerry, um, what's, your, what's your view on the rapture? <laughs> okay, we'll get there. All right, be patient. Uh, what about the Antichrist? Or, you know, the, the, the two witnesses? And, and what's your opinion? We'll get there. Okay, let's just try to be patient and let's not jump ahead. All right? We'll get your questions answered. Be tolerant. Opinions on this subject, like I said, very greatly. I've probably read 25 books on commentaries on Revelation, maybe more, actually. And I can tell you this, uh, no two of them agree on all points. And yet the people that write these books are brilliant people. They know God, and they know the scriptures, and yet there is disagreement on many issues. So with that in mind, be tolerant. You might have heard things that you won't agree with me, and that's fine. I don't mind that. And let's avoid this, okay? This is one thing, kind of a, you know, what do you say? Those, what is it, something that bothers you? What's that called? A pet peeve, yeah, okay. It's when people say this. Um, but my belief is based on the Word of God. <laughs> you know? Uh, no, your belief is based on your interpretation, of the Word of God, and that might not be the same as somebody else who, el who also esteems the Word of God. So, you know, let's, let's be tolerant with that. Um, do you believe the Bible in a literal sense? You know, some people say, yeah, well, I, I believe what it says. I believe what the Bible says. Well, I don't think you do. Otherwise, nobody in this room would have a right hand or a right eye. Correct? <laughs> okay. And you would all have dysfunctional homes because you would have told your children growing up, you need to hate me. Jesus said, in order for you to be his disciple, you need to hate me. See, things like that, okay? So it's not so much what is said, but I want to know what the Bible means. And that's the discovery of revelation and of truth. You know, people are, are, are very good at finding verses that support their view. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I believe in getting in the scripture. And, and backing what you believe with Scripture. So that's good. But, you know, just be, don't be dogmatic about that. Yes. Okay, so I actually, about that whole thing, like, be tolerant of each other's yeah. beliefs thing, I actually had a revelation this week about that. 
um, I realized that in my family, we can withstand a lot. My family has been together. My mom and dad have been married like 36 years. I think they're coming up on actually more than that. I forgot how much they've been together longer than that because they were high school sweethearts. And I realized that you can survive miscommunication. You can survive differences of beliefs if you're in a family, but you can't survive hate and disrespect. That is not something like if you constantly disrespect your spouse or your kids or whatever, you, your family's going to fall apart. And I watched that happen when I was a young adult to a church I went to. And I watched that happen in like other families, but like our family, me and my mom's and dad's family is still together. And I think this church will still be together. And even if it does like fall apart in some way, shape or form, God's church continues to go on. So sure. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm talking about, is respecting other people's point of view. And that's a good thing. Some truths come into understanding over time. Okay, it isn't seen right away. And that's true. For instance, I'll just give you a couple of examples. Um, Jesus said this. He said, he said, go tell that fox. And he's talking about Herod. He said, go tell that fox that today... And tomorrow, I heal the sick and cast out devils. And the third day, I will be resurrected. Wow. Do you think the messengers had any clue what Jesus was saying? I don't think so. And neither would have Herod. You know, Jesus is speaking prophetically. And, uh, you know, they didn't understand it at the time. But they would one day understand what that meant. And now we do understand what he meant. Or when he said... You know, tear down this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. Don't you think the disciples kind of rolled their eyes and says, we're, we're saying like, Jesus, why do you say that? Why? You know? But, of course, over time, they would come to understand what he's saying. And sometimes the prophetic is like that. Over time, you learn what it is saying. Um, I remember the early days of, you know, the end time movement and some of the movies that came out and literally in one movie uh, the people in that movie wrote 666 in magic marker on their forehead well that was according to the understanding they had at that point now you know with uh, digitals and, and and computers and everything else artificial intelligence we, we know it's gone way beyond that and we have our ideas now of what the mark of the beast will be but, you know, so you walk in that you have, and uh, further understanding can come. In the book of Daniel, and I've been reading the book of Daniel, and if you read it verse by verse, you, you see that Daniel, when he gets into the prophetic, he jumps from the past to the present to the future within a few verses, and then back again. It's, it's, it's random. It's scattered. And uh, why the Lord does that? I, I think I might understand, but it's, it's, it's hard to understand in, in some ways why the Lord does that. In the end time discourse of Jesus, and that, that's specifically Matthew 24, uh, Jesus has just described to the disciples the destruction of the temple. He says, you see this building? There'll be not one stone on another. And, you know, the disciples are shocked because the temple was big it was everything you know that's that's quite a statement so they asked him three questions basically believing they were talking about one event but jesus knew well here's here's the questions when will this be when will this temple fall that's the first question the second what are the signs of your coming and the third question what are the signs of the end of the age now they just asked about three different events, but they thought they were asking about one event. And so in Matthew 24, Jesus answers all three questions. And again, he'll talk about one issue, and he doesn't say this, okay, this is point A, this is point B, and this is C. He doesn't do that. Um, he kind of jumps around. And so it's, it takes discernment, it takes um, patience, it takes... Um, Discussion, learning from others, 
And when I come across things in Revelation that I don't understand, I love to go into my commentaries and what does this person think and what does that person think and get some balance to it, you know. Uh, the book of Revelation itself is not written in chronological, time sequential order. It is not. And that makes it difficult. Okay, there's basically four sections to Revelation. I'll get into that next week. But um, it is not in perfect sweet sequence, so it makes it difficult. And here's another factor. Some prophetic events have a single or a double or a triple fulfillment. All right? And again, so I'll give you an example. The uh, abomination of desolation. All right? If you don't know what that is, we'll, we'll get into that. But it's something that Daniel talked about. Uh, in, in Daniel 7, Daniel 11, and then Jesus picked up on it, and he talks about that in Matthew 24, and Luke 21, and Mark 13, and um, it's talking about when the temple would, would be desecrated, okay? Well, um, and, and actually when Jesus talks about it, he says, let the reader, actually he didn't say it, but the, the, the authors of the Bible put in, let the reader understand. Wow, that's not, that's not spoken very often. But in, in that issue, uh, you know, get some understanding on this, okay? But, okay, did it happen in uh, 167 B.C. when a man or an emperor named Antiochus uh, went into the temple and slaughtered a pig, laid it on the altar, and offered that sacrifice to Zeus? Um, and people thought that is the abomination of desolation. And it might have been. That might have been the first fulfillment. Then, in 70 AD, when Titus came in, the emperor, and destroyed Jerusalem, he walked into the temple as a Gentile, into the holy place, and he destroyed and burned it down. Uh, that's, that's desecration. And so, is that the second fulfillment? Very possibly. And yet, um, will the Antichrist, as, as I will probably teach, as I will teach, Will he himself walk into the temple and desecrate it himself? And I believe that could be the third fulfillment. So, you know, if you, if you hinge a prophetic word on one event, you might just miss it. Okay, so be open to that as well. Here's another. Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by your enemies, flee for your life. He said that. And of course... In 70 AD, when Titus surrounded Jerusalem, um, some people, the Christians, who remembered the words of Jesus, fled and escaped. Uh, but thousands upon thousands did not, and they were slaughtered. They were crucified along the roads. And uh, so, you know, but in the future, will that happen again? In Revelation, I believe it will. I believe, as you get into uh, the abomination of desolation and the Antichrist. Uh, what he does is declares, I'm getting, declares himself to be God. And the Jews wake up. There are, the, the scales fall off and they reject him. And he turns on them on another holocaust. And so uh, will that be fulfilled in the future as well? Probably. So uh, double uh, fulfillment, triple, sometimes, sometimes single. Okay. Lots of considerations here. Here's another. All right, I'm, set, I'm setting a little bit of background here. Here's another consideration. Okay, what are the meaning of the symbols? You know, uh, which in Revelation there are a lot of. So, you know, trying to, trying to discern that is also can be tricky. Um, some of them are explained, like the seven, you know, candlesticks or the, the stars, the lampstands. They're explained. Some are not explained. Uh, some are explained back in Daniel. So you have to look back. And, um, you know, so some of the things are figurative and some things are literal. For instance, do you believe there are seven Holy Spirits? No. You believe there's one Holy Spirit. And that's true. So when it says that, is that a figurative? I believe it is. So you have to then discern what is God saying you know in that case does seven just represent perfection is he the perfect Holy Spirit could be that or 
does he have seven attributes like is talked about in Isaiah 11? He's the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of understanding, etc. Seven. And uh, could it be that? Could be that. So discerning the symbols and uh, the figurative language is sometimes, you know, a challenge. Uh, does the harlot woman ride on an actual beast? Probably not. That's probably figurative. We'll talk about that as well. So, all right, let's talk about the first coming of Jesus, uh, which for Jesus himself was very different from what the second coming will be. For him, it's very different. But in regard to his people, I believe there's going to be some similarities. All right? We can probably agree that when Jesus came the first time, 99 point whatever had misconceptions about his coming. We can probably agree on that, you know? And that's true. Um, and much of it I understand, especially when you understand the nature of the prophetic in the Bible. You know, it's, it's not easy to pull the pieces of those puzzles together and make a clear picture. That's not easy. Um, it can appear random, scattered, even disjointed in the Old Testament. Some people would call it confusing. I use a different word. How about a like that? I like a mystery. The Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah could have, could have easily shaped their thinking uh, in this regard. They were looking for a Messiah who would conquer and defeat God's enemies and is prevalent in Scripture. It really is. Uh, here's Isaiah 9. A son is given, a child is born. You know these verses. There will be no end to the increase of his government. Justice and judgment will be established. The people will rejoice. The yoke of our burden is broken. Now, if you stand on that scripture, when you're looking for the Messiah, that's what you're looking for. And many people were. How about this? Isaiah 49. I will preserve you and restore the earth. Kings and queens will bow down to you. Speaking, I will fight against those who fight against you. They, they hung on to verses like that, like we do. We stand upon certain verses, all right? And oftentimes it's verses that benefit us and that make us, you know, look good. We do that. How about Daniel 7? The Son of Man comes in the clouds of glory. To him was given dominion and glory. That's the Messiah they're looking for. Not a baby in a manger, you know, not someone who's humble, a servant, uh, you know, they're not looking for that. Jeremiah 30, foreigners will no longer enslave you and your adversaries go into captivity. That's what they believed. So, you know, and, and they, they didn't know, they didn't know that those verses that I just talked about refer to a future event, the second coming of the Lord. They thought it referred to his coming. They didn't know about these things. So no wonder, it's no wonder they rejected Isaiah 53. That talked about Jesus, you know, the, the, uh, the, the lamb being led to slaughter, you know, full of grief, full of sorrow. They, they didn't connect to that because that didn't fit their picture, you know. And, and by the way, I didn't know this, but I've been told this, that the Jews, even of today, uh, do not uh, have Isaiah 53 in their Bible. So interesting. That's why dogmatic beliefs concerning prophetic scriptures, you can be dogmatic about some things, but the prophetic future prophecies, you can't get dogmatic because it can, be, it can lock you in. To the wrong beliefs. And some of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, we now know them through hindsight, retrospect. We see them in the rear view mirror. And for us, you know, that makes it look easy. But when you're looking ahead, it's not. Um, the gospel writers also said in many times how they say how Jesus fulfilled you know, and then they give you the Old Testament prophecy. And so they kind of lay it out for us. We're, we're blessed in that way. Some of those prophecies were kind of easy. Like this one, Micah 5.2. Here's what it says. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, 
out of you shall come the one who shall be the ruler in Israel forever. Now that one they got. That one kind of fit their picture, you know? And so they knew. They looked to Bethlehem. And that made sense because Bethlehem was the city of David. And so, you know, even the, even the Magi coming from the east knew that one, you know? So, but some were very difficult. And, you know, like here's Psalm 69. David is pouring out his heart to God. He says this, Save me, God, I'm sinking. My enemies surround me. I have reproach and shame. You have given me gall to drink, and in my thirst they give me vinegar. Hmm. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But when you read that, you think David is talking about himself. But we know in hindsight and from what the Gospels explain to us that it was prophetic. That's how difficult it sometimes is to pull out the prophetic in the scriptures. So, another, the 30 pieces of silver. It's, it just seems randomly Zechariah chapter 11, and it's as if Zechariah is saying that about himself, about the 30 pieces of silver. But once again, we, <clears throat> we know it's prophetic. So, it's not easy. But it doesn't mean we don't go for it, that we don't look at the scriptures, that we you know, think about them, talk about them, and uh, want to learn. Stay curious. You get the point. Let's stay open in our thinking to truth and uh, learn from discussion. We, and here, here's, here's a great advantage, and you know this. Some of you are thinking this. You're thinking, yeah, but we have the Holy Spirit, and we do, and that's wonderful. And he does bring revelation. He does bring truth. He guides us into all truth. So we give thanks to the Holy Spirit. And I believe we have last days at work within us because, you know, we know we're in the last days because the last days started 2,000 years ago. According to the Bible, we're in the last days. And uh, we do believe there will be an increase of revelation in the final days, even as spoken by uh, Daniel in the last two verses of Daniel when he says you know these mysteries and and you will be given understanding they're locked up but they will be released in those days and we believe we're living in those days so all right let's begin how about that huh how far did I go I went, <laughs> that's, that's pretty good that's a good preliminary all right and, and I know I'm lecturing you know, tonight might be a little different, but like I said, if you have a question, that's great. Okay, because uh, Revelation is not sequential, um, I will deal more, you know, because most Bible studies you go to, you know, Galatians. You're going to start in chapter 1, you know, verse 1, and off you go. Okay? Uh, I hope this doesn't disappoint you, but we will not be doing that. I will be looking at more topics and chapters and sections of Revelation and applying it that way, okay? Trying to make sense of it and bringing things together and going back in the Bible and finding things that um, support, okay? Um, it is the revelation of Jesus from verse 1, as I said in my introduction. I don't know if you saw it on Sunday, but he is the focal point of God's plan and everything revolves around him he is the focus of revelation and his purpose and that's uh i think i think every verse in revelation following verse one is tied to verse one that it's about him and his plan his purpose the fulfillment of god's plan through jesus all right um it's written by john and how many of you have have really never studied revel maybe i shouldn't ask that but maybe some of you haven't studied revelation a lot and maybe it's somewhat new to you so if i if i get a little elementary that's okay um it's written by john he's on the isle of patmos it's probably written most agree around 90 a.d okay um he's instructed in verse 11 he says by by the lord write what you see so he's given this vision and it's an amazing vision that he sees. 
and then he's to uh, send that to the seven churches. Okay, and so that's what John does. And, and I believe this vision that he sees is very similar to the vision that Daniel saw. And Daniel kind of shows it in, in one light, and John shows it in uh, another light, okay? And, and actually, and I said it's written to the seven churches, it's written to us today as well. So the theme is consistent with the Bible, and that theme is redemption, okay? Who, who can give me a definition of the word redemption? Who can do that? I know somebody can. In fact, I know two guys right over here that aren't looking at me right now. <laughs> okay. Redemption means this. To purchase back something that was lost. That's what redemption is. That's the literal meaning of the word. So, it started in Genesis. It was purchased on Calvary. And it's completed in Revelation. The process, the purpose, or the... The, the, the story of redemption. And it is the greatest story ever told. It really is. It's wonderful. God's plan is... I love it. And then we're introduced in Revelation. This is maybe where you want to, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to chapter 5. Okay? Chapter 5 of Revelation. That's where we're going first. Interesting. So in chapter 5, we're introduced to this little book. Some, some versions might call it a scroll. I'm going to call it a book. Okay, this little book. There's a lot of emphasis and importance placed on this book. All right? As the scene unfolds. It is sealed up. It's closed with seven seals. And maybe we'll get into that. Why is this book closed? Why is it closed? means something. And uh, the book of Revelation shows us the process of the opening of this book. Uh, remember the meaning of the word revelation, introduction, or from my promotion, is to unveil, okay? And so revelation is the unveiling of this book that is so important. So what is the book? And here we find a lot of agreement. And um, I've, I've done the best I can to understandable. That this book is like a title deed. It is, it is most likely the title deed to the earth. Okay, that's, that's pretty important. That's why there's a big focus on this book. Okay, and the first question is, who can open this book? And no one is found. But, of course, there's only one. And he appears. And I love this. This is, this is beautiful because you have God the Father. You know, he's got the book. And um, who can open this? And then it says, out of the midst of the throne. Wow. Just imagine this. Out of the midst of the, of the Father's bosom comes Jesus. He appears. And uh, it kind of, kind of solidifies our belief that the Father and the Son are truly one. One. You know? So he comes out. It's the mystery of the Trinity. He is announced as the Lion. Because he is the Lion. But he emerges as the Lamb. Interesting. And it was becoming the lamb, uh, the sacrifice, the payment of redemption that made him worthy. Him becoming the lamb of God that takes away made him worthy to open the book. So he's the only one because he paid the price of redemption. So he can take the book. And, uh, you know, it talks seven horns. Horns represent power. Jesus has complete power. Seven eyes. Eyes represent wisdom and knowledge. Jesus has all knowledge. He's omniscient. Seven spirits, you know, and that again, it's one 
with, he's one with the Holy Spirit, who again, it's a seven because complete. And Jesus is completely, uh, you know, full of and one with the Spirit of God. And so right there you have the Trinity is present. And Jesus takes the book from God Almighty, the Father. So this scene is playing out in heaven. And uh, the Spirit of God is there. And we also see from Revelation 22 that the river of God flows out of the midst of the throne. Wow. Pure as crystal. So is this river a manifestation of the Holy Spirit? Could be. I kind of think so. You know, and uh, isn't that the case that Jesus said, out of uh, your innermost being will flow rivers of living water? The, this he spoke about the Spirit, and, uh, you know, that Spirit is in you. He's in you as well. Um, the river of God. It's beautiful and amazing and mysterious. Uh, then, enter these four living beings, okay? Now, my version calls them creatures. That's kind of negative. I don't like that. It, a, a better word, and a, and a true word, an accurate word, is beings. These four living beings. They're, they are amazing. And uh, they have six wings. They're full of eyes. And again, you know, how could you not have great knowledge and revelation and understanding when you're in that close of proximity to the very throne of God, because these, these beings are at the throne of God. Wow. And uh, one is like a lion. And, and, and actually, these beings, they, they reflect God, they reflect Jesus. All right? And so, as you look at these beings, uh, one is like a lion. Like a lion, okay? Not a lion, but like a lion. And a lion... Of course, when you describe a lion, is is kingly, all right? Jesus, the king, and he's the king of the Jews, as described by Matthew. Matthew focuses and emphasizes Jesus as the king. Kind of interesting. You got four gospels and four four living beings. Okay, then one is like a calf as uh, Jesus was portrayed in Mark as the servant, as the bearer of burdens. That's Mark, Matthew Mark. You know, the lion, the calf. The third has a face like a man, as portrayed in Luke. Luke, you'll hear, you'll see this phrase over and over, son of man, the son of man. And the lineage in Luke uh, comes through Mary, because Jesus was born of a woman into humanity. That's just kind of emphasized there. And, of course, Jesus called himself the Son of Man. And I think there's more than one reason for that. He did want to identify as a man because he was fully man. We know that. But also, I think he knew the people of Israel were looking for the Son of Man based on Daniel chapter 7, because here's what it says. Behold, one like the Son of Man will be coming in the clouds of heaven. He came to the ends, that's the Father, that's Jesus, was given dominion and glory. So, that's who the Jews were looking for, the Son of Man. So he referred to himself as the Son of Man. And actually, every time he did that, it was like a poke in the side of the Pharisees. They're like, don't call yourself that. Don't make yourself the one who will come. You know? So, interesting that he would do that. Okay, and then fourthly, the other being was like a flying eagle. And that as, as portrayed by the Gospel of John. The Son of God, divine. You know, from the heavens. And uh, that, that fully describes the Gospel of John. So these four living beings describe Jesus and, you know, kind of reflect the Gospels as well. Very cool. Love it. Also present are the 24 elders. They fall on their faces, cast their crowns before the Lord. 
they cry, worthy, worthy, you know, is the Lord. Just as these four beings continually cry, holy, holy. And why do they do that, Rick? Because they see something new every time they look at him. I believe that too. And uh, that's true. It's like holy. And then the creativity and the, the, the wonder of God appears again. Holy. Something new. God is limitless. And they see that. And uh, so they cry holy. But these elders cry worthy. You know. And these elders have bowls of incense. Which represent the prayers of the people. And your prayers are being held in heaven. I like that. They matter. Your prayers matter. And we pray oftentimes. That's why Jesus said, pray this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. And his kingdom is coming. And those prayers are preserved. And they matter. So, I love that. Lord, be glorified. Do you ever say that? He will be glorified. He is glorified now in your hearts among his people, but he will be glorified in the whole earth. And that prayer will be answered. Lord, be honored. Receive all honor and glory. He will. He will. Those prayers will be answered. So keep praying. Also, there's many angels present. So the scene is phenomenal. It's, it's wonderful. And it all revolves around Jesus and this book that is so important. So, next question is, where has the book been? Well, this book, I believe, has been quite the journey. Okay? So let's, let's try to follow along here. The journey of this book. Okay, in the beginning, in his generous nature, you know, God creates the heavens and the earth, you know, and, and so he has the book. The book belongs to God, of course. He's the creator of all things. It belongs to him, all right? But, you know, because he, he loves what he creates and because he's generous and kind and giving, uh, he gives ownership, you might say dominion. Man was given dominion. He was given stewardship, you know, to his creation. That's us. He gave it to us. All right? And he said some things to him. He says, you do this and you do that. This is, this is your domain. And it was. And um, it was perfect. You know, people were not under sin. They were not under the curse. They were not under Satan. And how long this lasted? I don't know. We're not told. I wonder how long that lasted. How long they were in the garden before, you know, that thing. But uh, could it have been? I don't know. But, and, and, and what happened in those years? Because I'm sure, you know, that they had great intelligence. They had ingenuity, creativity, and they had so much potential in those years. And what was created, what was done. Of course, it was done in the garden. And the garden was theirs. So, you know, it wasn't worldwide. But nevertheless, just an interesting time. We're not told dates. The garden was a beautiful place. But think about this. Evil was present in the universe because by this time, Lucifer had fallen into sin. So sin entered, all right? Lucifer was there. He was lurking, all right? And uh, it would be inevitable that people would face this evil. It was inevitable. It would happen. And God knew it. And so... Um, that was presented in the way of choice. Choice. Are you glad for choice? I'm very glad for choice. I'm glad I get to choose. You know, God made me to have choice. And so because of that, you know, there was a, there was a tree put in the garden. You know the temptation. You know the rest of the story. And so mankind sinned. First Adam, he's called the first Adam, he failed. The curse entered in, and this is what I believe. The book, the book that belonged to him was lost. You might even call it stolen, deceived, okay? And uh, ownership was given up. That's radical, but I believe it's true. I really do. And so Satan 
and he is called the God of this world or age. That's chapter four. You're probably writing very furiously, but anyway, most of you aren't. That's good. Um, he's also called the Prince of the Power of the Air. That's Ephesians chapter 2. And he's called the ruler of this world. Guess who called him that? Guess who called him the ruler of this world? Jesus did. Yeah. In uh, John 12.31, here's what it says. Jesus said this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's talking about Satan, the ruler of this world. He calls him that. Wow. Interesting. So if people, you know, would say, oh, that, that couldn't have been the case, you know, that, that they lost the book or whatever, that he's the God of this world. Yes, I believe it's scripture to say that. And that is why Satan could offer to Jesus the kingdoms of this world. And uh, he said this, this has been given to me. That's what the devil told Jesus. And Jesus did not dispute that, you know, interesting, but he didn't bow down either, did he? And, uh, the devil said, I can give this to whomever I wish. Hmm. Do you think that the devil still offers that to people? Hmm. I think he does. Wealth, fame, in exchange for their soul? I believe that happens, you know? And some people have a power. They have, you know, these things because of uh, their relationship to the devil whose end is destruction, their end is destruction as well. But uh, nevertheless, you know, he still offers that, I think, to people. But Jesus, of course, as we move forward in history, you know, the whole theme, redemption, and uh, Jesus paid that price, the price for our redemption, the redemption of mankind, the redemption of the whole earth, of all creation. You know, he paid that price on Calvary, purchased our salvation, purchased back that which was lost. That's redemption. And regained the book through his death and resurrection. So the book is now, or was, with the Lord. You know, and he also says he took back the keys of hell, or the unseen realm and death. Interesting. That, that again speaks of you know, ownership, these keys. And also, then, he took paradise, he took paradise from under the earth with him to heaven. That's called, he led captivity captive, because before that, here's a, again a little lesson, um, but before Jesus was Hades under the earth. Hades had like two places, torments, and paradise, and that, par that parable, you know, of Lazarus and let me have water and that thing, it's kind of, kind of based off that, but, you know, uh, the unrighteous were in torments, uh, or, sh or Sheol, and uh, the uh, righteous were, were in paradise. And Jesus went down, made an announcement, you know, I have conquered death, I have won the victory, purchased your salvation, and I'm taking you with me. And he did. And some of them even made a pit stop on earth. Did you know that? And they walked around. That kind of interesting. That would have been, been quite, the, quite the deal. So, so that's from Ephesians 4, by the way. Uh, so, anyway, yes. If, if uh, Jesus paid for the book mm -hmm. with his death, yep. couldn't he give us all the things Satan claims to give us? Good question. I like that. And I would say an emphatic, yes. Yes, he can. And that's his purpose. So, because, now, if the book is with God at this point, then my, my, my next question is, what's the deal? What's the deal with this? Because if the earth is still in turmoil. There's, a, there's iniquity everywhere. So what's the deal with that if God has the book? Well, that kind of is tied why the book was still closed. There's something going on there. And not that I understand everything, but, you know, I have some ideas. Why is Satan still active? Well, here's one explanation. 
And of course, it's an explanation that helps us to understand. Whether it's literal, it's not literal, but it, it helps me. There is a difference between ownership and occupancy. Okay? Ownership and occupancy. Who's, who's the owner? The Lord. He's got the book. What about occupancy of the earth? What about that? It's kind of like this. When you purchase a home, again, again, we'll go back to this title deed thing, a land or, or home, a home, okay? Uh, you purchase that home. You're even given the keys, uh, but the previous owner uh, hasn't left yet, okay? He stays with even no legal right to be there, but he stays. What do we call those people? Squatters. Yeah, that's right. So the devil is basically a squatter because he's still around, okay? He must be removed and the house cleansed before, you know, before you can move in, let's just say. You know, before you can move into a house, the, the previous owners have to leave and the house needs to be clean. Then you can move in, okay? Well, <laughs> this is the process, the story of Revelation. This is what the whole book is about. It's the, the process of occupancy, God taking over, kicking out the devil, and uh, taking full dominion. Okay, but in the meantime, in the meantime, the devil does remain. But, again, Satan is allowed only where he is allowed. <laughs> Hope you follow that. Okay? Um, the unredeemed of the earth, in a sense, give permission to the devil to be here. Okay? Because he is allowed where he is allowed. And of course, in my life, he's not allowed. You know, Satan has no power over the redeemed. Those who walk in that redemption and those who know their authority. Some Christians don't know that. You know? But when you do, you know, you, you are free. You are free. You're not in bondage. He is not your master. Jesus is your master. Okay? So I understand that. And God is sovereign and God in all his wisdom. I believe there's, there's, there's another rationale for why the devil is still here. And this is my thinking. I think this whole conflict needs to play out in order for God to show all of creation the full and final results of sin. I think God is allowing it to play out to show the world this is what sin does. You know? Because the world under the Antichrist, even though the world looks to him as their savior, the world will fail. All right? Just as now, you know, we, we want peace. Everybody wants peace, you know? And uh, has peace ever come? It's never come. And will it come? Never, until Jesus comes back. You know, the United Nations is a joke. I'm, so, I'm sorry, it's a joke, you know? And, you know, you hear about somebody in the cities and they, they get gunned down, they get killed. And what happens? They have a vigil. And I'm not blaming them. You know, that's fine. But every time somebody gets up and says, this has to stop. This cannot happen again. And what happens? It happens again and again and again. You know, you will not have peace, you know, outside of Christ. And so God is allowing this process so that in the end, everybody knows, you know, this is what sin does. And this is what following God does. This is what man is capable of, and we will follow God. All right? So, all right, now, I'm getting there. I have we move ahead in time, and I've talked the whole time. How about that? Wow. Um, and, you know, time in heaven is irrelevant, but time on earth, we could say, you know, seven years, ten years, I'm not sure. But uh, near the end, we have, now you've got to go to chapter 10, because this is also very beautiful. We're skipping to chapter 10. We have this mighty angel. And again, I don't know why this is, but for some reason, in the Old Testament and here in the New Testament, sometimes Jesus is described as an angel. 
I don't understand that. You know, is it, does it mean like an angel? I don't know, maybe. Is he perceived as an angel at first? Maybe. Or maybe an angel is also present? But this is Jesus. There is no doubt. Even though he's described as an, he is, this is Jesus. This description fits him. And this is what he does. And this is what Jesus only could do. All right? For instance, in verse 1, and this is kind of cool, just a little thing, just a little thing, but now the book, because we're at the end, the book is open. So all the seals have been broken. The book is now open in his hand. I like that. That's significant. All right? It's specifically mentioned. The process is complete. Ownership and occupancy is final. So Jesus, here's what he does. He puts one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, and this is a fulfillment, I believe, of Scripture. Joshua 1.3 says this. Every place the sole of your feet touches, I have given you. Here's Deuteronomy 11. Every place the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. And so Jesus, on the land, on the sea, he's standing, okay, declaring, this is mine, all right? He is claiming what is rightfully his. And uh, he cries out as a lion roars. So true that at this point, he is the lion, you know, and he roars. I like that. And the seven thunders join in. Powerful. Listen to this in Psalm 29. Here's what is said. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is like the sound of waters. The God of glory thunders. His voice is powerful, full of majesty. And the Lord is king forever. And this is the fulfillment of that prophetic scripture back in Psalms. And these words down, what he says... It's kind of frustrating a little bit. <laughs> I remember when I was a, just a brand new, well, I was a Christian for a while, but kind of new in it. And uh, this prophetic person, who he truly was a prophetic person. He's amazing. His name was Byron Spear. We were praying in a circle. And uh, he, we were talking about some things and getting into, you know, some, some deep things. And he said, you know, I want to tell you something. And then he paused and he said, but the Lord won't let me say it. <laughs> I'm like, mm. <laughs> you know, what's that? And don't say that. Don't say that. Yeah, come on. Uh, but anyway, that happened to John there, and he couldn't write it down. But we may be given a clue in the very next chapter because, again, a seventh angel, hmm, a perfect, complete angel. Is that Jesus again? But he says this. It has to be Jesus. He says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Messiah, and he shall reign for eternity, followed by eternity. Hallelujah. Those are powerful words. And I think that's the declaration of Jesus. And it's going to be, you know where you're going to be? You're going to be on your face, just like with me, you know, and powerful words. And, and again, explain that one to me. How can eternity follow eternity those are mysteries those are mysteries that cause me to ponder deeply you know could be could be then jesus raises his hand to heaven and swears by him who lives again in eternity followed by eternity the the cycle of time it's we don't understand it we just don't I have no clue, you know. I try to tap into the quantum world and understand all of that, and it's deep stuff. It's deep stuff. I tell you what, that particles can exist here and then go there without traveling and co uh, live, coexist at the same time, the same particle. How do you explain that? You can't. But is that the very nature of God? Doesn't God do that? Doesn't God live here and God live there? He's everywhere, you know. So maybe some of those things we're tapping into give us an explanation of who God is. I, I kind of like that. That's why I'm interested in it. But anyway, so um, 
He raises his hand and he says, no more delay. Uh, the mystery of God is fulfilled. Wow, what a declaration. Then something interesting happens. And this is pretty significant, really, because John is told to take the book from Jesus. Take the book. And so John goes up and Jesus gives him the book. Wow. And he's told, eat the book. Well, that again is figurative in that he's saying, make this book a part of yourself. Make this book yours. It's yours. He gives it to John. And here's what I think that means. I think God again gives the stewardship of the earth to his people. I really do. And uh, back to us in his generous nature. And that was his original intention anyway, back with Adam. So we've come full circle now. And uh, that's the very nature of God. And maybe that's why we're called kings and priests in the earth, you know, because we have been given, again, that dominion. Um, the gift, the book, John finds is sweet. You know, initially he's like, wow, what a gift. What a beautiful, wonderful, amazing gift, Lord. It's sweet, you know. But then it becomes bitter. And here's why I believe it is. Because, and as we ponder this, we, we remember the horrible cost that was paid for this to happen. It was, of course, the suffering and uh, sacrifice and death of Jesus that allowed this. And that's bitter. That's a bitter thing. Because when you think of that, what God had to do for us, you know, amazing. And, uh, and also, it maybe caused, you know, causes us to um, ponder the suffering, the bloodshed, the judgment upon mankind and the earth that will happen during the book of Revelation, you know, it's, it's going to get bad. And, you know, does, that, does God take delight in that? No, but it's necessary because, you know, the whole scenario of fire and destruction, it had to take place, you know, for the cleansing of the earth so that the book was fully open for what's ahead because, you know, there's a little bitterness in that as John, you know, as this is played out, there's still a little bit of that ahead. And how could that be? Uh, here's why. Because there are still mortals upon the earth for the next 1,000 years called the millennium. There will be mortals here. And that can always lead to trouble, which eventually it will. And that's probably in three weeks from now or something. <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, so that, that's, that's the story. That's the story of the book, the story of redemption. And, uh, you know, we can't lose sight of that, the, the influence or the, the importance of that book. And uh, what the story that weaves its way throughout the whole Bible of redemption and how Jesus fulfills that in the book of Revelation. We'll get into the seals in the opening. And uh, I think next week, We'll probably get to um, maybe even the, the catching away of the Christians. So we'll talk about that. That's probably where I'll lose about one, one third of you. That's <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, any comments? And they don't have to be recorded. I can turn this off. But any comments or questions that, that you might have right now? Yes. Yes. I thought that's all there was. What else is there? Right. Right. Absolutely. Moving forward. It's progressive. That's what Revelation does, doesn't it? Reveals more and more and more. Right. Yep. Absolutely. But I mean, is there an opposite to progressive revelation? Yes. And there is a segment of Christianity that believes that revelation has ceased, that miracles have ceased, that, uh, you know, it was all, you know, and it's done. And, you know, there's good people in that movement. I, I just don't agree with them. I believe there is progressive. And, I, and, I, and, and, and a part of that, and they would reject this as well, is that God is still speaking through his prophets, you know, and that God, you know, tells people things. And yeah, we've seen abuses of that. Of course we have, lots of that. But there also is the true. 
and that's why we have to have ears to hear. Uh, stay open to that, you know. Be, learn, learn discernment, and you can do that. And we've been disappointed time after time, but, you know, if you, if you stay grounded, and, and like that first verse says, it is the revelation of Jesus, that's your foundation, your foundation won't shake, you know. So just that's, that's our goal here. Stay grounded. Talk about the prophetic. Talk about what's being said out there. I don't, I don't avoid that. You know, you don't have to agree with it. I don't have to agree with it. It's, it's fine. But it's good to talk because God is still speaking. We know that. And um, I want to be in the middle of that. So anyway, exciting times. Yeah, definitely. Oh, here we go. <laughs> okay, I guess we'll dismiss. <laughs> no, go, go ahead, Swan. <laughs> okay, and that's session four. Okay, <laughs> session three is a revealing of Antichrist. You know, the two witnesses. I've changed my mind on the two witnesses because now I, I really do believe it will be the Swanson brothers. <laughs> yeah. You just give them a beard, a robe, and, and I don't know anybody who would take more delight in calling down fire than that guy. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> That's right. Oh yeah, it's fun times. We'll enjoy it. So, and, and by the way, it's quarter two, and that's fine. Peter said I could release early, and I, I think that's just...